Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today we read from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 14. And if we sort of look at the, the whole uh, reading, we find that, that Christ is, is, um, is speaking to us about three main points, which is to love, your loved one, to love your loved ones and yourself less than you love God, to, so to prioritize God in our lives. The second is to carry our cross through the hope of Christ, that is to, to offer a sacri- to make sacrifices in our lives for our salvation. And the third is to forsake the things of the world, that is to, um, to give our free will to that which the Lord desires. The, the church has given us over the past few weeks readings that focus on um, God's creation preparing themselves to receive God's word. Um, to prepare to behold God who seeks to enter our lives. So we had the parable of the sower the last few weeks, and then um, this week speaking about God loving God more than others as a sort of prerequisite to being his disciple. Um, Next week is about the sorrowful rich man. And then after that, we begin the month of Kiak. We begin the month in which we're speaking about the incarnation. So it's, it's sort of us preparing ourselves in order to receive and to behold the Word of God um, on the Feast of Nativity in the Incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so um, this Gospel reading, it's very hard Gospel reading. You know, actually all of the re- readings, if you notice today in the Acts, in the, in the reading of Acts when when the disciples were, were constantly being beaten because they were preaching the word of God and then speaking about um, the things that we must deny in the epistles, the things that we, we must reject and leave in our life so that we may be true disciples of our Lord. So today, is, it's, it, it is a very difficult um, uh, reading. But of course, it's something that we have to, um, at times, remember and remind ourselves about the sort of seriousness that um, in the epistle says to, to, to be serious in our prayers and in our spiritual lives. And so, you know, one, one, the verse that sort of caught my eye that, that I had been paying attention to is, is when Christ, he used, he used these parables to sort of portray, um, to portray what, he, what he wants to communicate, which is <clears throat> that he's saying that we are, we are up against something that is very powerful, which, of course, is evil, temptation, our passions, and things like that. And so he's saying, if you have, if you are trying to build a tower, and you, you need to count the cost, meaning you have to count the, the magnitude of the force that you are about to go against. And it's like, my finances is like my virtues. How much virtue do I have? How much strength do I have in order to fight against this? Uh, in order to fight against this, this is what the church fathers sort of portray as as um, what Christ is speaking to us today. And then he gives another parable in which he says, "What king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? 
or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So he's portraying salvation as something that we have to be careful not to neglect because again, there is this war against my faith. So it's like saying if I'm going to build a tower, then I say, yeah, yeah, without really counting or without really thinking, I say, yeah, yeah, I have, there's no, no issue. I'm sure I'll have enough to build. Or I'll go to war without knowing what to expect, right? Then it, it would be silly for me to initiate this war. And that's what happened here. In this parable, he's saying that imagine a king who, go, who goes to war against another, meaning that he initiates this war against another army without considering how whether his army is powerful enough or strong enough to fight against their army because then it would be embarrassing for for me to then say okay i just initiated this war we're probably going to lose so now let's let me send a delegation let me send some people to go and and now try to petition to make peace with that army and so <clears throat> Again, the church fathers compare this to our faith and our compromise with sin and our passions. And we say, it's no big deal to, to go do this or to do that or to, uh, or to say this or to say that or for my children to do this or that. He's saying, be careful because we could be miscounting. And then when we see the actual cost, meaning the impact that it has on our spiritual lives, then we sort of get this sticker shock. And so <clears throat> it reminded me of the, of the 12th hour litanies when we say, if life were everlasting and this world were ever existing, you would have an excuse, O my soul. But if your wicked deeds and ugly evils were exposed bef before the just judge, what answer would you give while you are lying on the bed of sins negligent in disciplining the flesh? It's a very... Uh, it's a very powerful prayer that we pray in the, in the Agbeya. So Jesus is calling us to be his disciples, and to, um, and to do that, there is tension between our desire to be disciples and our desires of the worldly things. And so when I, when I thought about this parable that Christ spoke about, of course, it's something to be... Uh, that we need to be aware, aware of and, of course, be fearful of. But I want to, I want to share the, um, uh, something that happened in the book of Acts, chapter 16, to remind us of who really is the powerful one. But it, it also goes in the context of this parable that Christ um, gave us this morning. So in Acts chapter 16, St. Paul, he goes to a town which is in modern-day Turkey, and he comes to know St. Timothy. And so he likes St. Timothy, and he wants him to go and evangelize with him. So they go to two or three different cities, and there's no cl clear reason why, but, it was, but it's, they say that the Holy Spirit prevented us from going to these cities. And so, of course, they always St. Paul and St. Silas, who was with him, they always submitted to the will of the Holy Spirit that guided them. And so St. Paul, he had a dream that, um, that there was a man in Macedonia who was pleading for him to go and help them. So he goes and he preaches in the city of Philippi. 
And so on the Sabbath, there was, um, there, they went to the riverside, which was where uh, they would gather together for, for where they organized their gathering for prayer. There was a group of women who were there, and they ended up preaching to the women, and one whose name was Lydia was there. And so she heard the words of St. Paul. She asked to be baptized along with her household, and then she, of course, insisted that Paul and Silas go and stay um, at, at their home. And so one day they were walking uh, again together to gather for prayer, and there was a young girl who was a slave fortune teller. And uh, she kept following these uh, Paul, St. Paul and St. Silas. And so she kept yelling that, that these servants are servants of the Most High God. So she, of course, had the spirit of, of divination, but it was demonic, which is why we do, which is why we stay away from fortune tellers. And uh, she did this for many days, and St. Paul got annoyed of her, so he was very patient with her, but he got annoyed of her and commanded the evil spirit to come out of her. And of course, this upset the owner, the slave owner of this fortune-telling sort of uh, business and uh, began to sort of create this uproar that these people who are from out of town are now sort of like destroying the, the, the city. So they started chaos. They dragged them into the streets. They beat them, and they were uh, thrown into the prisons. The prison. So St. Saul, St. Paul, and St. Silas, they were they were in prison and they were praying and singing hymns, and the other prisoners were of course listening to them. And then there was an earthquake, and of course they didn't have the same, you know, uh, seismic uh, building requirements that we have now. So the walls of the prison began to fall, and the doors of the prison began to break apart, and the prison guard was asleep. And then he, he woke up from the earthquake and he realized that the doors were broken down. So the first thing that he does is he draws his sword and he's about to kill himself. And so um, Paul, of course, yelled at him and said, don't harm yourself, we're still here. So they didn't flee. And so he came, the guard came running to the feet of St. Paul and said, how can I be saved? Tell me how I can be saved. And so the guard took took St. Paul and Silas to his house. He washed them up. He fed them. He took care of them. And, um, of course, St. Paul baptized um, him and his family. And so then the next morning, the magistrates, who had initially put, put them in prison because of the chaos that happened among the people, so they said, let the men go. And so the guard told St. Paul and St. Silas, hey, the magistrate said to let you go, go in peace. And he said, no, he wanted to put us in prison publicly, so he needs to come here and tell me to my face that I'm okay to go. So, um, of course, they were, they were afraid because he was, he was a, they were Romans, and, but yet the, office, the officers told these words to the magistrates, and then they were, of course, afraid. They came, and then they, they brought them out and, and asked them to depart from the city. So then they went to Lydia's house, and, um, and of course, they continued their evangelism from there. So here we see the magistrates initiated this war, or the people initiated this war against Paul and Silas. 
and it start, again started with the fortune teller and put them in prison. But they didn't count the army. They didn't count their army compared to the army of God, compared to the power and the authority of God. And so the magistrates were forced to do the same thing that we read in the, that we read in the gospel this morning, which was that, well, I initiated this war. I'm not going to win this war. I'm now going to say, hey, by the way, let's, let's, make, let's have a peace offering. So, um, so, the magistra- so then they, uh, so the magistrates do that. They come back and they say, okay, peacefully, why don't you go? And so who was, who was willing to pay the cost to be a disciple of the true army? Who was willing to pay the cost? Who saw both sides? Who saw the power of the, who saw the, power of the magistrates and the power of, of the army, the worldly army, and seeing the, the heavenly army? It was the prison guard. And so the prison guard was the one who realized that his fate was death. And this was his duty because he was unable to secure the prisoners. So when he uh, found that Paul and Silas stayed, then he realized he could live. And he realized then that the power of St. Paul's army, which is God's army, is much more powerful than his. And so if his fate is death, he would rather die in Christ than to die by the king who neglectfully initiated this war in the first place. Sometimes when we take a job or we take some form of responsibility, we are told about the risks and all of these things, and we think that we're never going to have to face those risks or to have to face those problems. And so this prisoner guard was finally faced with the thing that he probably felt like I will never have to confront in my life. It's a good job. I'm being held responsible for for this. I could take a nap while they're in prison. It's a good situation. And then this earthquake happened, and now it was his duty that if he failed at his responsibility, he must kill himself, which is why he immediately drew the sword. And so... he realized then that the magnitude by which humanity is quite unmerciful and inconsistent with each other. Those who entrusted him with guarding the prison and being employed and being paid and saying, hey, here's here's responsibility, please, you know, please uh, be accountable for it and so forth. Those same people were the ones who said, but you better kill yourself because if you don't kill yourself, I'm going to come and kill you. That's the, that's the mercy of, that's the treatment that, that the world is going to give us. And so there is no joy, there is no peace in that, in that life, especially when he is confronted with this reality that what I was dreading is now, is now uh, standing right in front of me. So humanity, we change, we change our mind with how we look to people, right? One minute, I could say, I love that person. 
And then like three weeks later, I could be like, that person really annoys me, right? And then like a few weeks later, no, you know, I like that person. Like they did something nice. We change our minds. The world changes their mind all the time. Our society changes their mind all the time as to what's important, what's not important. This is now, now it's not that. This is now what we need to deal with. <clears throat> There's fluctuation. With Christ, there is no change. With Christ, he doesn't change his mind as to how he looks to all of us. But he does make clear in today's gospel reading, he makes it clear, though, that he has a desire for his kingdom, that his kingdom is to be filled with saints, with all of us who are striving to, again, um, fight uh, this war, and to fight this battle, but counting, counting how much we have. That is to, to constantly gain in our virtue. But it is something that we have to truly desire. And it is, it is hard to, it, it, with, 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 the, with the comforts of the world and all of the nice things of, of the world. But it's something that Christ is saying, there is a treasure beyond our understanding. And it's like in Matthew chapter 13, when he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy... Uh, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. <clears throat> and this is something we do today, right? I mean, if, if, uh, if, we, if we sort of like, you know, we're looking for a house and we find a great opportunity, you know, and it's, it's ugly and it needs a lot of work, but it's got great value, right? I'm going to sell my house, I'm going to sell everything, and we're now going to invest in this. It's a great opportunity, right? Or maybe if it's a stock, right? Okay, nobody knows, but this, this company is about to do this, so let me sell what I have. And we want to sell what we have, and we want to invest it into something that is, has so much potential that it's hidden. I know the value of it. And this is what he seeks for us to look to the kingdom of heaven in the same way. So, of course, so again, these are very some difficult weeks of readings that we've had. And of course, I, the first among all of us, need to look at what things that I myself have become desensitized to. Things that I try to justify that could give me sticker shock later on in my life or on the day of judgment. But of course, let's not forget that God is, of course, merciful. And he told his disciples when he commissioned them, he said, and as you, pre as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he says, freely you have received, freely give. God freely gives. And so, he will always reveal himself to us as he did with the prison guard. Okay? And the prison guard, God warmed him up to this because the people were listening to St. Paul and Silas uh, praying and, uh, and singing hymns. But sometimes, uh, sometimes it takes an earthquake to remind us, um, to remind us of his kingdom, to remind us. And, and so it was because of the earthquake, mind you, if the earthquake didn't happen, the guard would not have become Christian. And so earthquakes happen in our lives, but earthquakes if we look at it from the surface, the magistrates and others, they said this is a really bad thing that happened. But for the prison guard, later on, he's probably like, this is the best thing that ever happened in my life. 
because he then, um, he then began to follow these messages that we found in the gospel to prioritize that, that God is number one. He told Paul and Silas, come to my house. Here's my family. You're going to baptize me and you're going to baptize my family. Right? There's no catechism, nothing. Right? All of them are going to get baptized. And this is what, uh, this was his, um, his now, his, his new enlightenment. That what, we, what I do for my family is now what is, good, what is good in the eyes of God. And then he sacrificed. Sacrificing his, his job. Sacrificing um, his reputation. Sacrificing everything to now be a follower of Jesus Christ. So, again, he will always reveal himself to us as he did to this prison guard and the earthquakes in our lives maybe are sometimes a time for, for the, that the Lord wants to speak to us personally. May God always reveal his hidden treasure that we give ourselves to him as his disciples. To him be the glory both now and ever and unto the ages of all ages. Amen.